Father, we give you thanks tonight for this another Sunday evening, Lord, for the opportunity for your gospel to be preached. And we pray that you would undertake for us tonight both, Lord, to preach and to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are in the midst of your people tonight. We pray that you would open hearts, that you would give understanding, open ears, Lord, open the blinded eye. We thank you, Lord, that there's nothing impossible to them that believe. And so, God, tonight we come believing and faith in our hearts that you would do a work in hearts in this place tonight, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said it. Amen. Luke chapter 12, I'm beginning to read at verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give him their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew the Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. And if you uh, just focus in there in verse 47, it says, And that servant which knew the, his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did, according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. If you turn over in the uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. This parable, of course, is relating to the coming of the Lord. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, it says these words, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word tonight. Do you know every person in this room tonight, regardless of who you are or where you're from, male or female, young or old, every individual in this room, saved or lost, has been given something very unique by an almighty, sovereign God. Without, without exception in this room, God's give you something, whether you believe that, whether you think that, but God has given you something 
Not only has he given you the breath in your lungs, but God has given you a will. And I know for centuries men have debated God's will v. man's will, and I'm not going to try to do that tonight, but I know that God is sovereign. He's almighty, number one. Number two, I also know that God has given every person in this room, every individual, every man, woman, every young person, every boy and every girl, God has given every one of you a will. That means you can make a decision. Do you know what they say? I don't know whether this is true or not, but they say that every day, on average, a person will make 35,000 decisions. I didn't know I had it in me to make that many decisions. If you're indecisive, I feel your pain. 35,000 decisions every day. Working that out over a lifetime, if by the grace of God you live 70 years, that's 894,250,000 decisions that you'll make in your life. That baffles me. I don't know about you. Most of those decisions we don't even think about. We aren't consciously, it's in our subconscious that we'll go through our day and we'll make thousands of decisions every day. But I do believe that there is one decision. It's the most important decision out of 894,250,000 decisions that you may make in your life. But there is one decision that's going to determine not only your life here, but your eternal destiny. And you have an ability to make a choice. God has given you that. God gives every person in this room the ability to make a choice. That's a powerful thing. And every one of us that has been given to us by God, whether you're saved or you're not saved, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, God has individually given you the ability to make a choice. You're not a robot. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not a mistake. God has created you in his image. And God has given man the ability to choose. Now that brings us to, just for a moment, to look at this amazing God that we serve, if you're saved, and which we talk about and preach about. Because the Bible tells us a few things about this God that I want to talk about tonight. First of all, it's a term that we use to speak of God being all-powerful. It's the word omnipotent. That means in Psalm, if you just follow these verses, Psalm 147 and verse 5, that simply means that the God that we're serving tonight is almighty. There, there is no other power on this planet that even comes close to the almighty power of God. And in Psalm 147 and verse 5, the psalmist says, Great is our Lord, and of great power, and his understanding is infinite. Jesus said after he uh, died on the cross and was buried and rose again just prior to his ascension, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. We serve an almighty, all-powerful God. There is no one like our God. That is Jesus. Jesus is our God. There is no one like him. He is almighty and he is all-powerful. Not only that, he is also omnipresent. That simply means that God is everywhere. All of the universe is contained within this almighty God. 
In Jeremiah, if you turn over in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24, and just hear this if you haven't a Bible, but you can hear this first, speaking of God's, that he is omnipresent. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? I want to tell you something tonight. You can't hide from God. No matter where you go in this planet, or no matter where you go, if you ever got the opportunity to leave this planet, you're looking volunteers for Mars, but wherever you go, you'll find that God knows where you are. You cannot hide from God. You cannot run from God. Wherever you go, God knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows where you are. The Bible says, Do not, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3, it says these words, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. In other words, God sees everything about your life. Nothing is hidden from him. God sees you in school. God sees you in the workplace. God sees you in your bedroom. God sees you with your friends on a Friday and a Saturday night. God sees every part of your life. Nothing is hid from God. You cannot run from God. You cannot hide from God. God's eyes, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. God sees you. God sees everything about you. He knows everything about your life. Your parents may not know, but God knows. Your wife or your husband may not know, but God knows. God knows everything about every life in this room. Why? Because he's omnipresent. He knows all things about us. It says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God sees it all. Nothing is missed by this almighty, omnipresent God. God sees everything about your life. He knows everything right up to this point tonight. Everything that's happened in your life from the day you were born and even pre you were born, God knows you. But right through your life, God knows everything about your existence. He knows every breath, every thought. He knows everything that has left your mouth. He knows every word that you've spoken, even words that you've spoken against God. God knows it. God's heard it. God knows every deed that you've ever done, every act that you've ever done, every sin that you've ever committed. God's seen the heart. He's heard your cry at times when you were in trouble. And often that's what happens when we're not saved. We cry out to God in our trouble. But in reality, once the trouble passes, we still carry on in our own way. But God knows all these things. Not only is He almighty and omnipresent, but he is omniscient. That simply means that God knows everything. Now we can't grasp that. But God knows all things that there is to be known. There is nothing that God does not know. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, if you turn over to it, Psalm 139 and verse 1. Psalm 139 and verse 1. The psalmist says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. 
Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He's an all-knowing God. He is an almighty God, and he's a God that's everywhere. He is a God not like any other gods that's ever been presented to us. He is the one, the true, and the living, and the almighty God, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It's not just a general sense of a God, but his name is Jesus. He is the almighty God, and he knows everything. He is all-powerful. He knows everything about your life, and there is no one like Jehovah. Yet this supreme, almighty God, who is present everywhere and knows everything, gives you. This is the very unique thing, which is very hard to grasp. But he gives you and I and every person in this room a free will on whether we will serve him or we will not. Now, we can't fully grasp that or tie that together, but it's just the truth. God has given every man and woman in this room a free will, a will, whether they will serve the Lord or they will not. And that is the simplicity of everything. What prevents God from moving into your heart and changing your life and you to be born again and know the joy of sins forgiven and the purpose and plan of God being revealed in your life and through your life, what prevents that tonight is the stubbornness of your own will. The rebellion of man's heart. The will, of course, simply means the will used to express desire or choice or willingness, consent in a negative or a constructive way. God placed man in the garden. God created everything, and everything was perfect. Everything that God did was good. There was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no death. Everything that he created. In Genesis chapter 1, if you turn back, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it tells us there, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. You know that you have been created. Every person in this room, this is a wonderful thing. It separates us from the animal kingdom. And that's what the spirit of this age is desiring to do, is to destroy the image of God. We have been created in the image of Almighty God. We are a tripart being. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. There is Father. We have sung it tonight. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It seems to be that the last throw of the, of the kitchen sink, if you like, that the devil is designed to do is to destroy the very image in which we have been created. To mutilate Young people, men and women, to to, to completely destroy that God has created us man and created us woman and created us in the image of the Almighty. And it seems that these last days are marked by this 
persistent agenda of an antichrist world to destroy what way we've been created. And so that's the whole, the whole working of the demonic powers in these days is to destroy your identity in God. And we must know that God has created us in his own image. It says, in the image of God, male and female created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful. Now God gave them instruction to go forth and to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moved upon the earth. God gave him the ability to go forward and to choose and to obey God's word. You turn over to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. We see the Almighty in creation as he puts the apple of his eye or the crown in his creation, man. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden I may eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, what happens? You will surely die. So God, the Almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, He puts man in the garden and gives man that free will to choose. You eat of everything. You have dominion over all things. But you eat of this tree. The day that you eat of that tree, you will, you will, Adam, you will surely die. And we know the story well that Adam made his own choice. He chose, but thank God that, that God had made provision because he is all-knowing and he is almighty. And that provision was Jesus Christ. And so when man made his choice, God had already provided for this planet a lamb, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we see in all these things that God has given man a choice. Ultimately, a sovereign God, an almighty God, listen very carefully, has given you a choice. A choice in this room. It's a choice. It's the most important choice that you'll make out of the millions that you'll make is this choice concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I just want to be very simple tonight and say this. There isn't a person in this room that does not know the Lord's will. Not one of you don't know it. Saved and unsaved. Everyone in this room, as far as I can see, as far as I can understand, and I think I'm right in saying this, but every single person in this room have heard consistently most of their lives the gospel and the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been brought to Sunday school, Lighthouse Club. They've been brought to children's meeting. They've been brought to the house of God. They've been brought up in their home in the way of the Lord. They've been told about Jesus loving them and dying for them. They've been told about this great salvation. They've been told about the way. There isn't one of you in this room that do not know the Lord's will. This servant in Luke chapter 12 knew the Lord's will. And can I tell you tonight, you know the Lord's will. 
You know the right way. You know the truth. You know the gospel. You know what you have to do. You know there's a God in heaven. You know that Jesus died for you. You know there's a heaven and you know there's a hell. Most of you, and if not all of you, could probably share the gospel. That's a tragedy because there are literally millions across this world have never heard the gospel once. And we hear it week in and week out. We're saturated with the gospel. And yet in all of this, God Almighty has given you a will, a choice. And because of the rebellion of our hearts, and I say that collectively because we're all sinners and we are saved by the grace of God. And it was only us on that day when we opened our heart and we surrendered our will to his will that he came in and changed our lives. But that refusal or that stubbornness to reject the grace of God, the gift of God's love, the gift of eternal salvation, it's because you've made a choice, but you know his will. You know his will and you know he's coming back. You know that Jesus is coming again. You're in no doubt of that. The tragedy is your will and your choice is going to determine where you'll spend eternity. That might seem basic, but one decision, the decision to reject Jesus Christ That's the decision that will take you to a lost eternity. God is a loving God. Let me tell you about His will. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. This is the will of God. 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to usward. And here's his will. Not willing. Not willing that any should perish. Here's God's will for this congregation tonight. He's not willing that one person in this room would go to a lost eternity. He's not willing Now one would be plunged in to a lost eternity, a sinner's hell. Not willing that one of you, if you die tonight, would go to a lost eternity without Christ. But that all should come to repentance. Let me tell you very simply, what's crucial in salvation is repentance and faith. A turning away from sin. Now, how did Jesus, or how did God demonstrate that will? Very simply. This is the ABCs of the gospel. He demonstrated his will by sending his son, Jesus. Well, I know that, Tim. That's the problem. You know his will, but you've not made yourself ready. I know he's coming, Tim. I know that the Bible's true. I believe what you're saying. My parents have told me. My friends have told me. I believe this. You know the will of God, but you haven't prepared yourself for His coming. You see, the tragedy in all of this, God's not willing 
that anyone should perish. The human will. You know the will of God. It's such a profound thing that simply your will tonight and your own stubbornness, that alone will take you to a lost eternity. You're not willing. In 1 John 4 and 9, it says these words, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we would live through Him. When He came into this world, this is what happened. He came onto His own, and His own made a decision. His own rejected Him. Pilate said unto the multitude, What shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And they all said unto Him, Let Him be crucified. Men made their decision to reject this Christ. And through Him, their salvation, victory, the forgiveness of sin, peace with God, eternal salvation. What a Savior we serve. But your will, knowing the will of God, you're not ready. You haven't prepared yourself for His coming. Neither have you did according to His will, which He commands every man and woman to repent from their sins. But I'm not willing. I'm not willing. Tim, I don't want to do it. I'm happy with the way I am. I'm happy living the life that I live. Well, I want to tell you there's a few things that are influencing your will tonight. There's a few things that are influencing your choice. I don't want you to say anything, but just ask yourself these questions or find out what's influencing you most in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say, put to you that there's five things, but there's probably more. But there's five main things that I believe the people in this room tonight, five things that are possibly one or all of the five are influencing your decision to reject Jesus. First one, I think, is the most common one. And that is the one that's influencing your will the most. Not today, maybe tomorrow. Maybe when I'm older. How many people know that's true? Not today. Another day, or when I'm older, it's not really for young people. It's really for people who are a bit older. And maybe when I get married, and when, you know, when I have my own kids, I've heard this said by many, when I have my own kids, oh, I'll send them to church. I'll bring them along to the house of God. I would send them to the Lighthouse Club. I would send them to Sunday school, but not until I'm older. You know, it's a foolish thing to boast of tomorrow. It really is, because tomorrow may never come. The Bible says, today, if you hear His voice, that you're not to harden your heart. I think the second thing that influences a lot of people this is very profound and it's not easy. The second thing that's influencing your will tonight is your friends. Proverbs 12 and 26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully. Carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them 
astray. How many people know what's true? How many people wish they had to listen to their mom and dad when they were kids? Watch your company. Why did they say it? Because the righteous should choose his friends carefully. The way of the wicked leads them astray. One of the most powerful influences are your peers, your friends, the people you run about with, and influence in your will. Yet the Spirit of God would continue to come speak to you about getting right with Him, about making that choice and making that decision, but the sway or the influence of those around you. What you don't really understand is this. I want you to hear this tonight. I want you to hear this. What you don't really understand is this. You're thinking, if I do this, what will my friends say? Could I tell you something? That's what they're thinking too. That's what they're thinking too. It's a very profound thing, the influence of friends. I remember one of the greatest battles that I went through when I gave my life to the Lord. I was coming home from London. I remember getting picked up and coming around. And as I drove around the back of 201 Beaver Drive, there was three heads sitting in a car waiting on me arriving. And my heart was going a dinger. And I got out of the car and somebody shouted, Hallelujah! And I felt, oh no. Do you know the wonderful thing is, one of them saved today. Another one gave his life to the Lord not long after that. Another one, the three of them all got saved and one of them backslid. You see, I want to show you something tonight. Eternity is in the heart of every man. In other words, as we mentioned it this morning, Listen very carefully. It doesn't matter tonight if you're sitting here saying, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. See in your heart, see right into the depths of your being. Eternity is there, God by His Spirit. You know in the depths of your being the reality of this life and an afterlife and a heaven and a hell and there is a God that cares. Friends are going to influence you. The righteous will choose their friends carefully, but the wicked, the way of the wicked leads them astray. Some will say, are being influenced, not today, some are being influenced by what their friends think. And others are saying, and genuinely saying, it's too hard. It's too hard to be a Christian. I'll tell you what is much harder than hell. It's much harder in hell. I understand what you're saying. I understand that the way might seem narrow, but it is a narrow way. I understand that you're saying, but the, this seems like it's too much. But I want to tell you something. We'll have maybe a light affliction on this side of eternity, and that will not compare to the glory that will be revealed But I want to tell you something, that broad road, you might think it's easy. Enjoying the pleasures of sin and running your own course and going with all your friends. But the end thereof, I want to tell you something, it's way more than too hard. Way more than too hard. You see, some of the struggles that you'll face, 
is the struggles to try and live a Christian life in your own strength. And how many Christians would say, that's impossible, right? So it's okay. You've got to understand this. Paul writes these words in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But here's the secret to it all. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The worst thing you can do is try to live a Christian life in your own strength. Just give him your life. Let him live his life through you. And praise the Lord. He'll do a great work. Friends, another thing that our influence in your will is that the Christian life is boring. That's what people will say. The pleasures of sin are much more attractive. How many people have been duped by that one? I'll be the first to get my hand up the highest. You see, the devil is a liar and is a deceiver because we all know the pleasures of sin only last for a season. And the end of them are destruction, brokenness, and heartache. The thing is, it's a lie from the pit of hell that the Christian life is no fun. Let me tell you something. This is joy, and it's unspeakable, and it's full of glory. The knowledge that I have, and many in this room have tonight, that my sins, and let me tell you something, my sins were many, have been all washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And one day, I'm going home to be with Jesus forever. I want to tell you something. That fills me with joy. This world has nothing to offer you. Only pain, heartache, brokenness. But Jesus has come that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. I want to tell you something. The greatest experiences I've had in my life have been in Jesus. The greatest experiences of joy that I've experienced in my life have all been in Jesus Christ. Every blessing that I've ever known in my life has been because Jesus has blessed me. And in those blessings, there is a joy and there is a peace and there is a contentment And friends, this world could never give me what Jesus Christ gave me. And I tried the world. But don't take that as a challenge. You know, sometimes I feel that there's nearly a glory presented in the sin. I want to tell you something. There's no glory in sin. And there's no joy in sin. I know the Bible says rightly, That the pleasures of sin last for a season. But I tell you something, it's a short one. Heartache, ruin, wreck. 
in all honesty, if I say to you tonight, thinking of so many friends that I grew up with, so many of them, like Stephen and others in this room, but so many of them aren't here tonight. They're already gone and in a lost eternity. Lived a hard life. And I lived it with them. But that's not the glory and the sin. That's to present to you the grace, the mercy, and the great deliverance power of God. You see, when we're young, the Bible says that when we're young, we're to remember our Creator. Not when we're old. It's a lie from the pit of hell that tells you there's no joy or no fun in serving Jesus. I want to tell you something, the potential, and I mean this genuinely and seriously, the potential in a young life given to the Lord at a young age, the potential in God and the experience, the hand of the Lord in your life and to live for Jesus and the potential and where God and what God could do with that life is beyond anything that you could ever think or imagine. Lastly, and it sort of ties in with the first one, but it's also to bring in two brackets of people. Because a lot of people think or are influenced by their age, old and young. I want to tell you something. It's a wonderful thing. And I believe it, and I've said it often. It's the most precious thing. To hear a testimony of one of these young people, one of these kids, that tell us that they've given their life to Jesus and they're living and serving him. And not only is this not a truth for those who are saved young and have been kept, not only does he save you, but he keeps you. Isn't it a truth? I don't think there's anything greater, in my opinion, to hear a testimony, and I've heard a lot of testimonies, especially across this land where there's a lot of testimonies, but I honestly don't believe there's any greater testimony to hear a testimony of someone who's got saved at a tender age and have lived that life and the Lord has kept them from the world. And they stand by the grace of God, knowing not only does he save you when you're young, but he keeps you through it all. Maybe for those that are up in years, the other lie of the enemy is you're too old. What a lie that is. You're never too old. You're never too young. You see, I close with this. You know the will of God. Listen, you know the will of God. You know the will of the Lord. And the question is tonight, if you know his will, which I believe everyone in this room does, will you prepare yourself for his coming? Are you ready? That's the way, servant. You know the will of God. But will you get ready for his coming? Because he is coming. He is coming. May the Holy Spirit influence your will 
him alone, not the people around you, not the lie of the enemy that tells you it's too hard or it's no fun or not today or I'm too young, but may the Holy Spirit influence you and may you hear his voice today, today, today. As for me, I will serve the Lord. You know as well. Make that choice and make it sure. Let's pray together.